going to jump back into Acts. Look at your neighbor and say, we're back in Acts. We're back in Acts. He's going to go there. Yep, I'm going to go there. We're going to finish Acts. That is not the response I was hoping to get. So we're going to do it anyway. I made a commitment to you to, to, to tackle the book of Acts, and we're going to do it. And I really felt led that, to finish the book. And so um, we're going to jump back into that today. So welcome to week 26. You got your Bibles? Show me your Bibles. Come on. You got an ink pen, pencil, something to write on? Come on. How many of you have ever been on a team before? Maybe a sports team or a work team or an environment team? Just raise your hands real quick if you've been on a team before. How many of you, you can put them down. How many of you enjoy a team environment? Just love working with others, love the energy that comes with being a part of something bigger than just yourself. How many of you are currently on a team, whether sports, work, or anything like that? Just raise your hand. Yeah, let's give it up for all of our dream teamers. Come on, somebody. Um, Back in 1980, during the Olympics, there was this thing that happened, and it's now called the Miracle on Ice. Some of you may remember this if you were watching the 1980 Olympics. Some of the people on this side wouldn't have no clue what we're talking about today. <laughs> but it was, it, was the, it was the U.S. team versus the Soviet Union team. And the Soviet Union team had been a four-time gold medalist team, super talented, had all these incredible talents and, and players on their team. And the U.S. team came in like the, under, the ultimate underdog. Like they had no chance of beating the Soviet Union. But they did. And it was, it was one of the most hyped up things you'd ever seen. They, they beat them. They beat them smooth. It was good. It was clean. And it was, it was a phenomenon. In fact, they made a movie about it. I would encourage you to watch it. It's a pretty cool movie. Uh, I don't know what kind of language it has in it, but it was a cool movie at the time. And so the secret to the U.S. team, though, if you, if you unpack that situation, the, the secret to the U.S. team versus the Soviet Union team, which had so much talent, was that the U.S. team knew how to work together as a team. They didn't have individual talent that was, that was stand out. They, they, they just had average talent, but they knew how to work together as a team. And because of that, their team beat the Soviet Union's individual talent. So today, I want to talk to you. The title of my message is, There's No I in Team. There's no I in Team. Some of you are like, oh, great, a sports message. Yeah, call it what you want. Today, I want to talk to you about your team your team can be your marriage. Your team can be your friends. Your team can be your spiritual family. Your team can be your coworkers. And today I want to focus on your marriage. I want to focus on your family. And I want to focus on your spiritual family as a team. You might want to write this down. There's no room for an independent spirit in a kingdom environment. There's no room for an independent spirit in a kingdom environment. <laughs> Some of you have been sitting on the outside of the team for too long, and I'm believing today God's going to call you into the team to be a part. 
So how to know if you have an independent spirit? Let me give you eight very practical things to know if you have an independent spirit or if you have, I'll, I'll make it kind of simple for you, if you have independent tendencies. Uh, ready, ready to write these down? Number one, you're a very private person. You're like, you're like beyond private, like you're secretive. <laughs> you don't let anybody in. Or you let them into a certain place and then you stop. Uh, number two, you're a workaholic overachiever. And what you do is, is you tend to hide behind your busyness. So you won't, you won't get into relationship with others. You won't open your life to people because you're, you're afraid for whatever reason that is. And so you, you put up this, this I'm going to have to work and do a lot of things so that, I can't, so that I can use that to not let people in. So you use your work ethic, you use your, your overachieving thing to, to keep people away. Number three... You don't delegate tasks. You don't tell others around you what's going on. You don't give anybody else anything to do. You do it all yourself. And what's funny about that is I've met people that do things all by themselves. And what's funny is, is they, they, they just make this lifestyle habit of doing things by themselves and not letting anybody else in. And then they're the first ones to turn around and say, nobody wants to help me. <laughs> to which I go, are you kidding me? You've pushed everybody away, and now you're boudin because nobody wants to help you? Number four, you have a hard time asking for help. Is any of these hitting home? <laughs> Number five, you're used to doing things all by yourself. And what's funny is you'll even take pride in doing things by yourself. Number six, you decide everything by yourself. That'll get you in trouble. Number seven, you struggle with long-term relationships. Paul, oh, I want you to evaluate your relationships today. What is the turnover rate of your relationships? Do you, do you have a, whole, a longer list of people that you're dodging than people that you're actually engaged with? Is there a longer list of people you're running from versus the people you're actually connecting to? Because if that's the case, then there might be an issue there worth exploring. You see, it usually works like this. As soon as somebody crosses a line and gets a little bit too close, I got to kind of evacuate the relationship now. I got to put it in a different place because they're getting up in my business and I'm not comfortable with this. So then you start pushing people away because you're afraid of letting them get too close. And it could be for various reasons. It could be because you've been hurt in the past. It could be because you've been disappointed or let down. It could be all kinds of reasons. It doesn't mean that it's good. Just because you have a reason doesn't mean that it's good. Because I know all of us are good at making excuses and believing our excuses are the best ones. Number eight, this one's, this one's kind of funny. You dislike needy people. <laughs> You'll straight up judge some needy people. You'll straight up judge somebody who's not afraid to ask for help because you're too stubborn and, and isolated to ask for help. You'll judge them and say, well, what's wrong with them? They can't do nothing on their own. <laughs> Weak people. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's just a few. She was quiet in this church. So there's no room for an independent spirit in the kingdom environment. But you got to be careful with this, this, this thinking because if you're not careful, you'll swing totally to the other side and you'll become hyper-dependent on people and you'll choke them out. And there's some hyper-dependent people in this building today. Like you can't, you can't make a decision on your own. You can't do nothing on your own. You got to have people around all the time. You got to post 15 things on, on social media to get everybody's approval before you can make a decision. And you make the decision based on what people say. Which is totally hilarious because you've just been connected with the God of the universe who holds all wisdom in his hands and you have access to him, but you won't go to him. So we can't swing to the other side and become hyper-dependent on people and in doing so make a substitute for Jesus. Do you know Jesus, God, God didn't make another substitute for Jesus. Your pastor is not your substitute for Jesus. The TV evangelist is not your substitute for Jesus. Elevation worship is not your substitute for Jesus. <laughs> From the worship team. Bert. <laughs> Did y'all play an elevation song today? No. <laughs> So watch what Paul says about this in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation. We'll come back to it a little later in another translation. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. Listen to what Paul says. If you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart... If you care, then do me a favor. Agree with each other. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Watch this one. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. Think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Paul is saying you need to think of yourself the same way Jesus thought of himself. Like Jesus said, I'm not too good to get dirty in your life. I'm not too good to get my hands dirty in ministry. Can I buy an Amen. So you might want to write this down. You will never understand the value of others until you let others value you. You will never understand the value of others. You will never understand how important other people are until you allow other people to bring value to you. You don't get that with independence. You don't get that when you do everything by yourself. So let's go to Acts. Acts chapter 18. How many of you know Paul didn't do any, all of this by himself? Paul's great. 
Paul's phenomenal, but he didn't do all of this by himself. Paul had others in his life. Paul had a team. Acts chapter 18, that, by the way, that's the book we're in, 18. We're 26 weeks and 18 chapters. Get you some. Can you say slow? <laughs> Ride. No, I'm just. <laughs> then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, which is a guy's name, by the way. I was confused for years. Born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Should have been a clue. They, they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. They lived and worked with them. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers just as he was. So Aquila and Priscilla were kicked out of Rome for being Jewish. They were hated on. They were discriminated against. They were judged, and they were run out of their home because of their nationality. And so they end up in Corinth, and Paul ends up in Corinth, and then all of a sudden God does this connecting thing between them, and then they go on to do ministry together, which is phenomenal when you start to see it. I would imagine they came into Corinth pretty upset. Paul had had his problems too. Beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, chased out of a town. Isn't that funny? So they meet up with each other in Corinth, and what's funny is that they have like skills. They, they're both tent makers. There's some commonality between them. So they begin to work together because of their skills. So watch this. I believe God knows how to put people together. In fact, I believe he knows better than we do. Any of you ever had a bad run of picking friends? <laughs> you don't have to raise your hands. That's okay. Like you pick some not-so-winners. <laughs> and afterwards you're like, ah, should have prayed about that. I believe God knows how to put people together. Watch this. And I also believe that it's, it has, a, it has a, a natural feel to it. I don't believe you have to force relationships. I don't believe you have to force connections. I believe God knows how to, and I'm going to prove it to you in Scripture in a minute, God knows how to put people together. So how did you get the friends that you currently have? There must have been some commonality between you. How do we fit together as a team? You ever wonder that? Like, where is my place in the body of Christ? Where do I belong in the body of Christ? Listen to me. Stop wondering. You do have a place. Maybe you just need to let God place you. And stop trying to figure it out. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul describes to us how God is really good at putting people together. Starting in verse 12, it says, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. But we have all been baptized into, into, the, into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Look at your neighbor and say, we share the same spirit. 
Look at your spouse and say, we share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, does that make it any less part of the body? If the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? Verse 18, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where, watch this, keyword, he wants it. Who's placing the parts in their place? God is. You can buck against it. You can run from it. You can scream and throw a tantrum. You still have a place in the body, and it's the place that he wants you to be in. Go make your own way, and you'll be frustrated. Fall in line with where God wants you at, and you'll thrive. You'll find joy. You'll find peace. You'll find fulfillment in that. We don't put ourselves where we want. We trust that God knows our best fit. You shouldn't have to force it. Is this making sense? Where do I fit? So let's talk about what a healthy team looks like. I'm going to use a cheesy acronym. I think it's an acronym. I just panicked. Is it an acronym? Yeah, thank you. God surrounds you with educated people when you're missing some things. When you're lacking a few parts and pieces, I should have paid attention in English. I'm kicking myself still. I just didn't. Is that English? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Was that English class that I missed that? T. T represents we're meant to be together. We're meant to be together. Not separated, not individual, not apart. We're meant to be together. The Bible uses language of family. It uses you've been adopted into his family. You belong here. Family that is healthy is family that is together. Come on. Let me, let me say it this way. Family that is healthy is family that likes to be together. Because <laughs> some of y'all be sticking around the drama too long. Y'all like y'all watching a soap opera at the family reunion. You're going to see who's going to get in a fist fight in the parking lot. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about healthy family is when you like to be a part of the family. Let's go back to Genesis where, where God first showed us what it means to be together. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, up to this point, God had been creating all these things. And every time he created something, he would say, it is good. Remember that? It is good. He created the sun. It is good. He created light. It is good. Darkness, good. Water, good. Earth, good. Animals, good. Even cats. And mosquitoes, for some reason, he said, were good. 
But in verse 18, we find where God says that something's not good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. It's like he hits the brakes all of a sudden. He's creating, it's good. Creating, it's good. Creating, it's good. Created this, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Hold up. This ain't good. You see it? So I want you to hear something today. If it wasn't good for man to be alone in Genesis chapter 2, it's not good for man to be alone in current day. It's not going to be good for man to be alone in Revelation. Do you hear me? It will never, ever be good if God said it wasn't good from the beginning. So you isolating yourself is not good. Your independence is not good. Your disconnection from God's family is not good. It's not good. It will never be good. You were designed for community. God put something in your DNA. He put something in your wiring that made you to thrive, and you would only thrive in community. Ah! That independence that you're feeling is a lie from Satan that you bought into. He's trying to keep you from the very thing that God wants to use to give you life. So it's time to not sit around and complain about it and have others complain about it. It's time to kick the devil in the teeth, tell him he's a liar, and get connected. Because you're meant to be together. And you need to know this. The second, the very second you think to yourself, I don't need anyone you just became filled with pride and independence. That very second, boom. I got this. I'm good. You know what's funny about I got this? If you live with that motto in your life, I got this, I got this, I got this, you're going to die one day and you had all of it. All by yourself. So loneliness, isolation, and independence are not good. Loneliness is not good. Can I call it what it is? Now, I'm, I'm sorry and I'm sad that you're lonely if you're lonely, but, but loneliness is not good. And look at me. You don't have to stay in loneliness. Some folks are married and lonely. I'm going to tell this side. That side, I got one person heard what I said. <laughs> Do you know people are married and lonely? But you don't have to be. It's not good. Look at your neighbor and say, it's not good. Some of you are just some good prayers and some good conversation away from reigniting some things in your marriage. Well, don't you think you've waited long enough? Won't you start praying and won't you start talking in a calm way? Because last time I checked, teammates don't fight with each other. They fight against the enemy. 
There's going to be some days that you need others, and then there's going to be some days that others need you. And you need to realize that because if you think others that you don't need others, then you're prideful. There, listen to me. For every single one of us, there will be days where we need others in our life. God designed it that way. They're not my source. They're not my God. They're not my substitute for Jesus or the Holy Spirit, but they're a friend in a time of need. They're encouragement when I couldn't find it on my own. Are you hearing me this morning? You're going to need people, and people are going to need you. So I encourage you today to come out of your cave and get into community. Join a team. Join a dream team. Join a life group. So what if you don't like the subject? So what if you're a master at the subject? Go in there and be a blessing to the, the life group leader. Because, <laughs> baby, you ain't arrived? No. You're special, but you ain't done. And the day I think and believe that I can't learn something from somebody who's less educated or younger than I am is the day that I've set myself up for failure. I learn stuff from kids. It's because we're, you know, we're, it's a level thing. <laughs> right, John? I'm childlike. It's, it's a word. It's a word. I'm just waiting on the rest of you to become like a child. <clears throat> Catch up. I want you to hear this this morning. Ever since the day God performed the first surgery, Satan's been trying to destroy that team. The day that he said, it is not good for man to be alone, and he put, he put Adam in a deep sleep, opened him up, pulled out a rib, and formed a woman, a helpmate for him. Ever since that day, Satan has been trying to bring division into that relationship. You better listen to me. He's been trying to bring division in that relationship. He don't want you happily married. He don't want you thriving in marriage. He don't want iron to, arpen, iron to sharpen iron. He don't want none of that to happen. He wants to bring division to kill it. Why do you think he's after marriage so hard? So the day you become a team, a married team, a united front, the enemy just lost ground in your life. You want to push back against the enemy? Learn to fight as a team and not fight with each other. Ah. Come on. You're not against them and them against you. If they would get right, then we would be right. That's pride. I'm not right. She's not right. But I'm all right with Jesus. Let's just be right together. Let's fight against the Kuyong. Amen? Like, let's become a united front. Doesn't mean that you won't have some, some heated moments, but you'll learn to work through them a whole lot better. E. T is meant to be together. E is ready to encourage one another. We need to always be ready to encourage one another. While Paul was in Corinth, he was being insulted. Every time he would get up to preach, they would insult him. 
Now, these guys preached out in the community, like we'd go to the park and we'd have church at the park, and then anybody could come, which anybody can come here, but they don't, you know, you've got a building, it's our building, blah, blah, blah. But they, they would come by and they would start to insult him while he's preaching the gospel. And they opposed him. And Paul being human just like the rest of us, anybody ever ready to give up? Paul being human just like the rest of us does this old thing. He goes, he knocks the dust off his sandals. You remember in the, in the Gospels where Jesus said, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off your sandals and leave that city? Paul did it. He shook the dust off his sandals. He had given up. He was, he was blasting out of Corinth. These people are crazy. Come on, you know what I'm saying. He's ready to quit. Verse 9 and 10 of Acts chapter 18, look at what happens. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid, exclamation mark. Speak out, exclamation mark. Don't be silent, exclamation mark. For I am with you and no one will attack you and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next, how long? Year and a half. He was ready to quit and kick the dust off his sandals. He was gone. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm finished. But the Lord brought encouragement into his life. Boy, do you see the power of encouragement right there? How many of you, would, you wouldn't have quit those certain things if you'd had a little bit of encouragement along the way? This is what's cool about this part of Acts is that we get to, we get to find an example to follow. So there's a lesson in that vision. Here's the lesson. God demonstrated to us how to encourage other people. It's right there. Don't quit. Don't quit speaking. Speak out. Keep preaching. Keep going. Don't quit. People really don't need you. Well, you know, if you'd have done this different, and they don't need you to come in and debunk their mistakes and debunk their situation and explain and make a logical explanation for their situation. They just need encouragement. Paul stays because of encouragement, but he may have left without it. He stays for a year and a half, and the church in Corinth is established. We all need people that will encourage us to stay in God's will and not move into man's will. Ah, You don't need as many people to agree with you as you need people who will disagree with you. Well, I'm just done. This whole thing ain't working. This marriage ain't working. I got 10 minutes in this marriage, and he hasn't changed. Stay married. Humble yourself. Keep going. Keep going. We can get a long ways with a little bit of encouragement. Come on, somebody. Be ready to encourage A. We need to keep account of each other. We need to keep account of each other. This one's going to take a little bit of explanation. Because it's not accountability. It's, it's account. And the Lord made me, made me say it this way. It's, it's, we need to account for one another. Which means this. It means to hold each other in esteem. 
It means to value each other. Pay attention to me. It, it means to hold each other in high esteem. It means to value one another. We need to account for one another. We need to make sure that we're keeping people valued and we're keeping them esteemed. You know why you got in a fight with your wife? It's because you allowed the enemy to devalue her. You know why you thought about a substitute, a do-over, a get-you-a-new-one, trade her in for two 20s? Like somebody told me one time, my wife's 40, I'm going to trade her in for two 20s. I'm like, bro, you stupid. We need to keep account of one another. Let me, let, me, let me just say something. All of my deepest relationships have come under attack. All of our relationships, at one time or another, have come under attack. The enemy's always trying to steal life-giving relationships from us. And this is how he's worked. I just want to expose his plan today. He comes in with something that maybe you don't agree with, something that you don't like in them, or something that, that just, maybe it's a fluke, maybe they're just having a bad day, and something happens, and he comes in and he takes that one little seed, if you don't keep account of that person and the value that you have for them, he'll take that one little seed, and he'll slowly start to bring their value down, and then you'll start to say, I don't need them no more. But you sure needed them when you got into the relationship. You sure was looking for a friend when you found one. How do you not need one now? Don't tell me he's not doing that with your spouse. He'll use the silliest things in the world to devalue them. Their breath is just horrible. Smell like a dead possum when they wake up in the mornings. Good Lord, I'm going to pour some, some, some mouthwash in their mouth while they sleep. Oh, Lord. And you let that one little thing start to devalue them, and then you're fussing, whining, and moaning about every single little thing, and you're not keeping account of the value that they have in your life. You're not esteeming them anymore. To keep account of each other is to hold on to the value of them and esteem them even higher than yourself. But you see, when, the, when we let the enemy flip the script on us, all of a sudden our value becomes higher than theirs and then we don't need them anymore. Do you see, do you see the deception? Let's see what, how Paul says it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 4. Look at what he says. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others, where? Above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but, but each of you to the interest of the others. That's so anti-American, isn't it? Because every rap song you listen to, every country song you listen to, it's all about I'm greater than everybody else and everybody else needs to catch up. If you've lost value for the people that God's placed in your life, you can get it back. 
oh, trust me, you can get it back. I've prayed many a times and, and pushed back against the enemy and going, I'm not letting go of that relationship. I'm not letting that slip away. I'm not letting you steal the joy of this relationship from my life. I'm not tolerating this anymore. I'm not tolerating these thoughts anymore. Shut up, devil. I'm not entertaining you anymore. You don't belong here. You're not stealing my marriage. You're not stealing my friends. You're not stealing my spiritual family. One of the best examples I could come up with would, would be like the SEAL teams, the military SEAL teams. They, they're trained very specifically. All of our special forces folks are trained very specifically. And their training is phenomenal. I mean, there's a lot of years that have gone into this training. And what they, what they, one of the aspects of their training, and I know this only from watching movies. I wasn't special forces on earth. I'm special forces. Come on, somebody. Yeah. In the kingdom. Shoot, I just, I just valued myself a little bit. I'm, yeah, I need a badge or a patch or something, commander. Let me quit. Pride's creeping in the building. But the SEAL, the SEAL teams in particular, I watch a lot of movies. I love military movies because I like to watch the training. When they go to clear out a building, it's beautiful to watch to me. It's beautiful to watch because they all got their guns ready. They got the one guy. You remember the, you know, the one guy who's got the big hammer and bust the door open? That'd be my job. I want to bust some doors open. Like, clear, clear. <laughs> it's just, I get hyped up for that. And so, so then, then they go into the building, and it's like this dance, and everybody, and they're touching each other on the shoulder, right? And they're keeping account of one another. They want to know where everybody's at all the time so they don't lose anybody or that they don't get lost themselves. And it's fascinating because they'll, they'll have Bullets flying by and bombs going off, and they're still hanging on and accounting for one another. Where are you at? You okay? And then when somebody's down, they go, soldiers down. They don't say it like that. <laughs> a civilian talk. <laughs> but, but I thought it would come out cooler than that, but it didn't. <laughs> but when somebody goes down, everybody gets to know about them going down. Why? Because we don't want to leave them down, and we don't want to leave them behind. But they keep account of one another. Because every man's valuable. Everyone's valuable in the kingdom of God. They were saved from no value and were given value. All right, so T, we're meant to be together. E, we need to be ready to encourage one another. A, we need to keep account of one another. And, and M, before I get into M, I just want to kind of set you up because some of you are going to hear this word and it's a church word. And you're going to think, oh, this is religious, this is blah, 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 and you're going to discount the word. But just because it's been overused in the church world doesn't mean that the word doesn't have power. So I want to unpack the word today. M, we need to be ready to minister to one another. So for some of you, that, that, that means a lot of different things. Some of you, that's a Holy Ghost service, and we're ministering to people, and they didn't get ministered to until they fell out. Okay. We need to unpack some of that. <laughs> the term is broader than that. So the definition of minister is to afford supplies, to give things needful, to supply the means of relief, or to relieve. So to minister to somebody is to bring relief into their life. Not fix them. 
to bring relief, to come alongside. It's spiritual, but it's practical also. Because some of us are quick to say, praise the Lord, you're going to turn around and everything's going to be fine in the name of Jesus. And you had the ability to bring relief into their life, but you didn't do it because you thought ministry was only spiritual. It's spiritual and practical at the same time. It's great that you're willing to pray for people. It's great that you're willing to give them a word, but are you willing to help them? Are you willing to let them use your stuff? Are you willing to give something that's yours to them that would bring help? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, shake your head, do something. You remember that story? He came alongside and he ministered to that person. He brought relief. It wasn't just spiritual and it wasn't just practical. It was both. The Bible says if you have good in your hands, do it. Do it. If you have the ability to bring relief to someone, do it. You don't need to pray about it. If it's in your hands and they need it, do it. Can I get a better amen than that? This is a good message. It's got to be a good message. I mean, y'all just like really quiet. And I thought we'd be shouting each other down and had high fives, chest bumps, and all that. But this will work too. So let me show you a couple of quick examples of ministry, and then we'll let you go. You heard me say earlier, Paul didn't do this on his own. Paul would never be Paul without all the other people in his life. I'm going to give you a small portion of his entourage, of his team, if I can. Here's a couple of examples. From the get-go, Barnabas was on Paul's team. Remember the story? Paul's blind in a, in a room all by himself. Jesus done knocked him off his horse, straightened his life up, and blinded him. Speak, Jesus speaks to Barnabas, says, I want you to go, I want you to go find Paul. <laughs> you tripping? I ain't going to find Paul. Come on, don't we feel that way sometimes when Jesus tells us to do things? No, I ain't doing that. That ain't the Lord. That ain't the Lord. Right? Come on, you'll straight up say, that ain't the Lord. Mm-mm. Is it not the Lord because you don't feel like it? So Barnabas goes. He finally goes. And he walks in. Watch this. I'm going to prove it's spiritual and practical. Barnabas walks into Paul's situation. He lays his hands on him. And deliverance and freedom come. Boom. Scales fall off of his eyes. He can see clearly now. Then Barnabas brought food and fed him. And because he did the spiritual and the practical, Paul regained his strength and walked into his destiny. That's ministry, baby. It doesn't happen in a church. That was in the city. Come on, that was at somebody's rent house. Barnabas brought ministry. He ministered to Paul. I'm going to butcher some of these names, but... Tychicus, he helped Paul while Paul was in prison. He was like Paul's mailman, sending out letters. He was the first text message. Come on, somebody. (laughs) Paul would write it, and he would send it. And Tychicus was the man that would do it. (laughs) Aquila and Priscilla, 
It's a cool story. Aquila and Priscilla, they meet in Corinth like we talked about. They're tent makers. They're knitted together in the heart. They work together. They do ministry together. After the year and a half, Paul leaves Corinth, and he goes to Ephesus and finds Timothy. He finds Timothy, and he starts to plant the church in Timothy. Well, he brought Priscilla and Aquila with him to Ephesus. Watch this. Paul's finished planting the church in Ephesus, and he moves on somewhere else, and Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus to help Timothy. And then God uses Priscilla and Aquila in a mighty way in Ephesus while Paul continued to go on his journey. It's a cool story. I'm going to give you a list. Onesiphorus, Erastus, Trophimus. I may be South Louisiana in too many of these words, but Eubulus or Eubulus. <laughs> and this is my favorite, Puddin. <laughs> dude's name is, I think he's a dude. Dude's name is P-U-D-E-N. Cole calls me Puddin all the time. So I'm like, Cole, there's your man, Puddin. Linus, Claudia, and many more. This is just a short list of the people. Watch this. God placed in Paul's life. If Paul has an independent spirit, none of this happens. If Paul lives under the motto, I got it myself. I don't need any help or I'm good. He never becomes who he is without the people that God placed in his life. Write this down. No one ever becomes great on his own. No one ever becomes great on his own. So we're meant to be together. We need to be always ready to encourage one another. We need to keep account of each other. And we need to minister to one another, both spiritual and practical. And don't let the enemy convince you that spiritual is only when there's songs playing and there's a, a scripture involved. Sometimes it's spiritual when it's as natural as can be. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. I want you to hear Paul's letter. And I want you to hear what I hear. I hear Paul's value for these people in his life as he writes this letter. 2 Timothy 4, 19 to 21. Give my greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and those living in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Montes. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus sends you greetings, and so do Puddin, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. Now, this is a heavy-duty letter. Watch this. This letter is in your Bible. This part of the letter, God didn't take out. He didn't leave. The Holy Spirit didn't leave this part out when he, when he had him writing the book. He didn't leave it out because he wanted us to understand that you need to value the other people in your life. First, you need to value your spouse if you have one. I was hoping for a better amen than that. 
You need to value, it don't matter how loud I say it, it's, it's like busy writing or something, but you need to value your spouse. You need to value your family. You know what's funny about fam, natural families? They know you the best, and they're still around. What? And then you need to value your spiritual family. God wants us to value one another because he didn't design this whole thing for us to be individuals. He designed it for us to be a team. So it's time for us as a church to start working as a team, thinking as a team, acting as a team, believing as a team, for us to hold, to, take, to keep account of one another. I'm not trying to outdo any of you. I'm just trying to be my one part in the body that I was put to be. If I'll do my part and you'll do your part, this body's going to work a whole lot better. Come on. So we can't let fear come in and keep us, keep us locked down. We can't let past hurts and wounds keep us locked down. Jesus can heal that. Let's pray. So I don't want to just close out a message to close out a message today. I want us to be real intentional about this because it, it, if you think about it, God took this message and sent it to me and I had to write it. And if you knew how that went, you, it's a miracle in itself. And, and God put all this together and then the Holy Spirit's in this room right now touching you with the certain part that belongs to you of this message if God's doing all that then we don't need to just we don't just need like a blanket prayer right like we need to capture this moment where God just spoke today and we need to go like David Lord is there anything in my heart is there is there independence in me Lord Lord do I have an independent spirit do I act and speak and and do things like I don't need other people Lord, what's holding me back from joining the team? What's holding me back from going all in? What's keeping me from encouraging others? What's keeping me from ministering to others? Is it too much religion? speak to us today some of us in this room need you to sort some things out some of us walked in today not even aware that we've been independent lately we've, we, it's almost like we've grown independent for whatever reasons would you help us to understand why help us to understand how we got there but then would you walk us out of it would you give us the power and the encouragement to jump back in to get involved, to, to plug in to community. If it's fear, Lord, would you show us that it's fear? And I pray that your perfect love would wash over that. And it would cast it out. Holy Ghost, for the times that we've been hurt and disappointed and let down because of others. People just, people just didn't show up for us. 
Would you begin to speak to that? Because you never left us. You didn't forsake us. We didn't know you were there, but you were there. Would you help us to understand that today? Help us to understand the value of others by letting others value us, Lord. I pray that early church spirit over us today. They met each other's needs and they they looked out for one another and they, they had community and they broke bread together and the church was thriving and it was it was living and growing and breathing and producing fruit and it was healthy and it was life giving so much so that people that were on the outside were attracted to it I pray that over this church Lord we trust you to place us in the body where we belong we thank you because you're the God that knows that designed so for every lie the enemy spoken over us I rebuke that in the name of Jesus every lie that we clung on to and we believed I break that stronghold in the name of Jesus every hurt every offense every disappointment be healed in the name of Jesus it's by your power Jesus that these things are healed Every discouragement, every little thing the enemies use to divide marriages, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus. I pray unity over these marriages. I pray a bond like we've never known before. I pray we'll learn to fight together against the enemy and not with each other. That we'll become a united force. That the enemy has no room to work here pray that over these marriages,